I feel like one of my main missions is to help people recognize that when you learn something about an ancestor that doesn't coincide with that strict, like she was so like by the book and she did this, I think it helps us recognize one, the power of the atonement and the power of mercy and the power of change. And that you don't always have to be the person that you were, you can mm. change. And people are seeing that because they're having to reconcile this person that they knew with this act that they must have done. And it's hard, really hard. But I think if we can put it in that perspective, then it really helps us to understand human nature. It helps us to be more forgiving of others around us. I mean, if you can love your grandmother and then understand that this happened in her past and reconcile that with the woman that you knew, then when the same thing happens to your child, to your friend, then I think you'll be less likely to judge. Welcome to The Cultural Hall. My name is Richie T. If this is your first time listening to The Cultural Hall, so glad that we found you or that you found us or however you were found. Uh, you once were lost, but now you are found. Right? That's, is that the lyric? Yeah. Uh, okay. Googled it. Yep. Yep. No, that's the lyric. Now, here in the Cultural Hall, on Mondays, we publish an Articles of News. That is anything that is from the headlines about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sweet, the spiritual, all the things that takes place on Monday when we publish those. Fridays, it's an interview, a conversation, a chance for me to hear the stories of members or those somehow affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, whether by membership or by relation or by membership and relation. We have that opportunity here on Fridays, and today's episode is no different. Diane, an amazing storyteller. That probably is what struck me the most. Beside her passion for DNA, for ancestry, now don't let your eyes gloss over. Her stories alone are worth sticking to the very end, but also the passion she has, okay, but also some of the intrigue, but also... I feel like she just makes it so that DNA is something that you want to study. You want to find more about uh, yourself, your family. And that's what I did. After I had this conversation, I hopped online and started to look into a little bit about my ancestors, those who have gone before me and come to find out, I found a little thing. I found out that the theater that I perform at in Murray is literally across the street from where my great-grandfather used to own a clock and watch shop. And I would not have found that out, gone looking for it, had I not done this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, this is exciting because this episode comes to us from an email. Got the following email at contact at theculturalhall.com that says, Hello, The Cultural Hall podcast team. Very formal. Uh, I enjoy listening to your podcasts. Thanks for putting together such great content and helping the world to hashtag hear him and be righteously entertained via the sound waves. Great job and keep up the good work. I also wanted to ask about how you choose your interviewees. I have someone I would very much like to nominate for your consideration. Diane Southard. Diane is a Washington State native, a BYU microbiology graduate currently residing in Florida. She has worked in the DNA genealogy arena since it began over two decades ago, all while raising three brilliant children, supporting her husband and giving back to communities, local genetic ge genealogy, and church. 
Are you familiar with the Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation? She was part of that foundation, pun intended, working under the late James Sorensen, the richest man in Utah for many years until his death. Diane is the CEO and founder of YourDNAGuide.com and is a frequent guest lecturer at conferences around the world online and in person. She is the author of scores, yes, you heard it, scores of DNA genealogy blog articles, host of her own webinar series, star of Five Minutes with Your DNA, and author of the new book, Your DNA Guide, the book subtitled Step-by-Step Plans to Connect You with Your Family Using DNA. Diane's deep faith in the Lord is what propelled her to listen to missionaries over a quarter of a century ago and join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Washington and venture to a culture unknown in Utah at BYU. She's a pioneer in her family and in the DNA world. I'm not sure how well you know Kathy, but this is a glorious introduction she's given <laughs> Isn't us. Isn't she here. fantastic? It's her engaging personality that draws people in from all over the world to want to know more about her faith and the signs that she loves. She truly believes that as we understand more about how similar we are, uh, we grow as humans and begin to understand more of how God sees us as his children. She goes on, but I can't stand reading it. I just want to get to know you, <laughs> Diane Southard. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. Now, we've got to start, and we started into this a little bit before we started the episode, but you spell Diane like a Utahn would name their child Diane. You take, You have a bunch of letters in there that we don't sound out and that aren't necessary. So I'm going to need to know the history behind your name. This is so true. And the craziest thing is I'm a convert. My yeah. parents aren't even LDS. Yeah. So what it was, were they thinking? It was destined is what I see. But there's got to be uh, a story behind Diane with an H smack in the middle. So it's actually after a singer who recently passed away. Her name is Diane Carroll. Mm-hmm. And if you look up Diane Carroll, her name is spelled like mine, except for at the end, instead of just one N like I have, she has N-N-E. Mm-hmm. And my parents thought that was way excessive. And so they just <laughs> cut that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the rest, yeah. perfectly acceptable. Done. Yeah, no, we'll, exactly, do, we'll yeah. do that. Uh, so, and actually, my last name is Southard, uh-huh. not Southard. Uh, everybody says it that way. No, it's totally fine. We didn't go over that before we started. But that's also, so now both of my names are hard to say. Yeah, no, why would we do that? I feel like Joseph Smith, although common, had something down. Like, you never mispronounce Joseph or Smith, but I digress. Kathy gave us all of the bones of where we can talk about. So let's maybe pick up how you found the church uh, and then why the pilgrimage to Utah, of all things. And then in later blocks of this interview, we'll talk about why you care so darn much about DNA. Well, you chose the best story first, so uh, I feel like that's a great place to start. Let's start on a high note. Yeah. And then we'll see if we—maybe then if, if the rest doesn't go very well, you can just cut it off right after this yeah, story. I can, I can say, just oh, be like, oh, our connection, it's it's not gone. working. Ha, ah, what? Uh, hello? You. Who is this? Exactly. Okay, so actually, I'm part of the flirt to convert method mm-hmm. of joining the church. Which um, I am finding is way more popular than I ever thought. Like I always really? knew, I always knew that it was it was pretty solid, but it is definitely you know bringing in more people than I think we we care to really be honest about. <laughs> well, so mine started in high school. I um I dated a member, and basically for our dates we would sit around and talk religion. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the nerdy kid that I was. So I was 15, which his mom was not thrilled about because obviously you have to be 16 before well, sure. you date. Yeah, but you, um, but so you didn't was... have those rules, so you got to make right. your own choice, right? Totally. Back Strike off his mom. Strike against me, though, from the beginning, for real. 
So it was my first Valentine's Day having a boyfriend ever. Uh And so I'm in high school. And the way our high school did it is all the Valentine's treats and flowers and teddy bears that arrived like stacked in the front office Mm. until the last period of the day, right? And then they're all delivered. Mm -hmm. So all day long, I'm walking by the office and I'm watching and looking and thinking, one of those has got to be for me. (laughs) And then, you know, sixth period comes and nothing. Mm. nothing and I was like what's up with this guy doesn't he know what you're supposed to do on Valentine's Day right and so you know after school he's like I actually really I have something for you I just wanted to bring it over to your house I'm thinking I know it's a huge teddy bear right way too big to fit (laughs) in the office and so I was like oh fantastic yeah come on over so he shows up to my house not with a huge teddy bear with like a little gift bag and I'm like okay jewelry jewelry works sure I can do jewelry yeah and um, so I opened the gift bag and in it are two classical music CDs. He played the violin. Okay. Okay. So not terrible. And like if I would have gotten a classic music CD and that, that person didn't have the connection to classical music, I'd start to be like, meh, but he wanted to share something. He, he would have, you know, he's sharing something that he's passionate about. There's okay. There's more. Okay. There's more. Wait, there's more. <laughs> it was also a book of Mormon. Okay. Now, now. When we talk about a Book of Mormon, are we talking like free from the elders or sisters Book of Mormon? Or are we talking like, you know, he went to the Deseret online and he got himself or, you know, the distribution center or whatever was available and got himself a nice hardbound copy? Nope. This is the blue paperback. Get it from your average missionary Book of Mormon. Uh, Okay. All right. All right. So so he put his testimony in the beginning and said, nope, this is okay. Okay. He put his picture and said, one day you'll have a testimony and you can fill that in here. No, what he did include was a note saying something super sweet. And then when I looked up at him with confusion, like literally, did you just give me a book of scripture and two classical CDs for my very first Valentine's Day? He said, I just wanted to give you something that was important to me because you're so important to me. Oh, and that's exactly what I did. I like, yeah. oh, that is so nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't read it, <laughs> nor did I want to read it. It just kind of sat in my room and collected dust for like a year. Mm-hmm. But we we dated for a year, like we dated for a long time, enough to make his mom even more nervous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But eventually, I got around to reading it just because I wanted to prove him wrong. Prove um, him wrong. What do you mean? In fact. Well, like that he that the church wasn't true. Okay. Like that's so you would continue to have flawed. discussions and he's like, Hey, how about yeah. that book? And you're like, Meh, eh, eh, rent. I don't that's, know. Man. Right. Exactly. So what I did actually, my first study of the Book of Mormon, I got out a piece of paper mm-hmm. and I got out my Bible and I got out the Book of Mormon and I just started at the beginning in first Nephi and I tried to find all the things that were not congruent with what I knew about the Bible. Now pause, what's and your religious so- tradition at this point? So I was just your average Christian. I went to your average mega church. Mm-hmm. I was really involved in the youth. Like I was on the youth council. Sure. You know, one of those smarty pants girls that wanted to have Jesus. their nose and everything. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Totally. Born again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But of course, I didn't really find what I was looking for because it's a lot of story at the beginning, you know, not a ton of doctrine even. Right. Right. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, I didn't find what I was looking for. I just put it away. But Of course, eventually over time, as the spirit is wont to do, it nudges you a bit and says, maybe you should read that again. 
And eventually this friend of mine um, graduated from high school. I was two years behind him in school. So he graduates from high school. His mom is super nervous that I'm going to keep him home from his mission in some <laughs> form or another. Sure. And so literally the day after he graduates from high school, she puts him on an airplane and ships him off to Louisiana to live with his sister. Oh, wow. To work and prepare to go on his mission. Mm -hmm. So he's gone. Mm -hmm. So we decide, you know, he wanted to serve a mission. He was planning on serving a mission. So we just decided you, we should break up, you know, you should go do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. And so we broke up. But at that point, I feel like I'd learned enough about Mormonism to make me interested enough in it that there was this niggling feeling that maybe the church I was in wasn't the best place. Mm -hmm. And then I had a couple of experiences at that church that really confirmed that I was not in the right place. And so I stopped going. Mm -hmm. In fact, I worked at a grocery store and I asked for every Sunday shift I could get one. It was time and a half, which sure. is pretty good money. Sure. But two, because I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know where I wanted to go to church. And so basically for a year, I just worked every Sunday and didn't worry about religion that much. I just kept on doing my thing. Yeah, gave, but again, you, gave you permission to sort of not think about it. Well, I couldn't yeah. go if I wanted to because I'm working. But exactly. But then eventually I turned back to the Book of Mormon. I turned back to questions that I'd had. I had met with the missionaries a little bit after my friend had left on his mission. Mm -hmm. I did meet with the missionaries, but I just never stuck with it. So eventually I decided I needed to just have my Joseph Smith moment. Mm -hmm. I needed to go and pray and find out once and for all, is this the real deal? Mm -hmm. So it was June, right before my senior year in high school. It was actually a sunny day in Washington state, which doesn't happen that often. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. That's a miracle so in and of itself. It was there. a miracle yeah. in itself. So I went out in my backyard and I knelt down and I prayed and it, Everything that you read about what happened to Joseph Smith, the confirmation, the feeling that this is true, it all happened to me. Hmm. Textbook, this is for real and you need to move in this direction. So I kind of got up from that prayer. I was like, okay, let's do this. And that's kind of my personality. Once I know something's right, I'm just like all in. Sure. But I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know how to join the church right. from here. You know, my friend was on a mission. I had a couple of friends from high school that were LDS, but it was summer. And so I wasn't seeing them. Right. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't really know what to do now. And I lived kind of in the country, like not on a really busy street, but I was sitting on my front porch a couple of days later and I saw the missionaries across the street from my house. And I was like, what? Missionaries? Perfect. <laughs> They'll know what to do. So I basically walk up to these two elders. I introduced myself and I said, I want to be baptized. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, oh, sure. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's hilarious. Hilarious. They're like acting all nonchalant like this happens to them every day that yeah. random people walk up and say they want to be baptized. Right. Of course, they were like, okay, well, we have to start at the beginning. You have to take all the discussions because it's the process. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I, I agreed to go to church with them that following Sunday. And so I showed up at church looking for the missionaries and I spotted the missionaries, but it was actually two different missionaries. Like the area had been whitewashed in the oh. time that I'd met the missionaries till Sunday. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, fantastic. The which, two people that were expecting me. Which for people that don't know, just in case uh, people don't know what whitewashed means, it's essentially when both elders or both sister missionaries serving in an area get taken out and new ones get put in. Otherwise, I I fear what people may interpret that term may be. I just wanted to make sure, right. yeah, no, just, just, just to give that clarification. So brand new missionaries, but you're there at church and you're like, hey, uh, I don't know hey, where elder so-and-so. Yeah. Right. So I kind of sit in the back of the chapel and then I go up to them after the meeting and 
I said who I was. I said, I'm Diane and I'm, I want to get baptized. And they introduced themselves. Hello, I'm Elder Blazard. And then the other missionary says, hello, I'm Elder Southard. And if you'll remember, that is currently my last name. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So Elder Southard was one of my missionaries. And he taught me the discussions, and I was baptized. And two weeks after my baptism, he got his visa and served the rest of his mission in Portugal. Which is, I so assume, he was, where he was, uh, uh, where he where was he supposed was to go, to but just exactly. had had some visa trouble. Exactly. So he so that was in August before my senior year in high school, and then he left and served the rest of his mission in Portugal. But since now we weren't in the same mission, he could write to me. So he sent me a Christmas card and we corresponded throughout the rest of his mission and the rest is history. Well, the rest is history with some questions uh, <laughs> inserted in there. So was it a thing for you uh, at the time that you meet this elder Southern or you're like, Hey, Hey now, or is it like, hey, he's a nice enough guy and this is going to be part of the journey. And then as time went on and you got to know him better through letters and that stuff, uh, it sort of grew into, into what it became. I thought he was totally dorky okay. when we met. Good. He was Good. like tall he was. and he was dorky. and like he was super sincere. You mm. know, those guys that are just like so nice. Yeah. And, yeah. Those guys are the smart. worst. Oh, the right? worst. Yes. Yeah. He was, <laughs> he was super cute, but like not in an attractive kind of way, just right. in that kind of like pat him on the head kind of way. Yeah. 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 And so you get baptized and he's gone. And But you write, you write the Christmas cards. Were you writing him as though it would be sort of a romantic thing or just like, hey, I'm doing well in the church and I'm learning the things and, and it, like a way that I would keep in contact with someone who joined the church while I was on a mission? What was that like? Yeah, it was really benign, especially at first until I fell in love with him because he's an amazing writer. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't just like, hey, this is what I'm doing. It was like weaving a story about his surroundings and about the people he was meeting and funny things he was doing with his companion. He's an excellent writer. Mm. And so as soon as I start reading his letters, I was like, this guy's amazing. Like, Mm. he's smart. He's intelligent. He makes me want to say intelligent and smart things. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time just like, looking for things to tell him like to make my life more interesting so that I could write to him about my interesting life like it he's yeah and I have all the letters still which is pretty awesome oh. um but yeah he's an amazing writer and so by the time he got done with his mission a year and a half later I was like this guy's pretty awesome mm-hmm. I really want to you know keep up this relationship and and get to know him more so yeah and, and he gets home a year and a half later which would have put after your completion of your senior year and you were already made the pilgrimage to to BYU is that well so I spent my freshman year in college in Maryland playing volleyball for a community college oh of course of course you did because that's what we do yeah um so I was in Maryland actually when he got off his mission but by that point I had realized that going to community college wasn't the kind of education I was looking for. It wasn't the environment I wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is my first full year in the church. I'm going to a ward in Maryland and all of them are like, BYU is so amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it sounds like a lot of Mormons. Yeah. I just don't know if I can handle that many in one place. But my parents had given me a college stipend, a certain amount of money I could spend on college, which meant I had a couple of choices. I could go to an out-of-state community college, which is what I'd chosen. Mm -hmm. I could go back to Washington State and go to an in-state school, 
or I could go to BYU mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was about the same price. Yeah. So I was like, well, I could still be out of state, which was kind of my goal. I just wanted to experience other things, but I could go to a real university, which was very well respected. And so I opted for BYU and my husband's family lived in Utah. So he was just there also going to school. So he was like one of two people I knew in the whole state when I moved there. Yeah. 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 And then I think what Bear's asking within at least this part of this, that first introduction when he's back um, from his mission and you're able to see him, how awkward was that? Well, my mom was there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so that was a little weird too. Tell him he's um, nice. Course, she's she's mom. like She's like whispering the things for you to tell him. <laughs> tell him he looks no, great. I... Tell him he's punctual. <laughs> Yeah, no, he gave us like a tour of, of like Temple Square and, mm-hmm. you know, everything. So it was very easy because we had something to do and mm-hmm. there was three of us instead of just the two of us. So sure. it was totally fine. Right. Yeah, we you eased could, into it just fine. You could deflect any sort of awkwardness on like, oh, yeah, awkward because my mom's here. Uh, right. Now, but mom's yeah. mom's not a member of the church, no. at least at this point, certainly. Still not. Still yeah. not. But so she's going with a daughter who's going to be moving to a different state, going to a religious school that is a religion different that she is. Does she have reservations about all this? Um, Maybe, but she never says. Like, yeah. my parents are so supportive, which is one of the reasons I was able to join the church at all. Because mm-hmm. literally, my parents are whatever you're about, Diane, I'm about it. I, yeah. I want I want to support you. I'm in 100 percent. I will financially support you. I will physically support you. I will emotionally support you. My parents are incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Let's take a break right here. And let's, uh, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about DNA. Because I'll be honest with you, when I hear DNA, I go, cool, next. But you seem to have such a passion about about it, uh, a need that we should know more about it. I'm hoping that you can instill uh, that into not only me, but everyone else who's listening. So we'll do that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, it's me, Richie T. I want to take a second and talk to you about best DJ in Utah, or I should really say right now, best guy who cleans out his carport and best guy who cleans out his storage unit and best guy who cleans out his carpenter studio and has done a lot of episodes of the Cultural Hall. Not a lot of DJing happening right now, as you can imagine. With the quarantine, it is the socially responsible thing to do. But I will promise you this, I bring the party. As soon as this is lifted, as soon as these rainy clouds of self-quarantine are gone, I will bring the party. Now, you're going to have a work party? Great. You're going to have a church party? I do the church parties, too. You're going to have a wedding or special day, or maybe you just want to have a post-corona party? I would love to be that DJ for that party. You can hit me up. You can get a quote. Simple and easy at bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Time for the second block of the Cultural Hall. If you are not a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, shame on you. Uh, go to Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. 
Not really any shame. You don't have to do it. I'm not the boss of you. But we would love it if you would like to financially support the Cultural Hall. I mean, for crying out loud, the least you can do is say, hey, I like that in the amount of a dollar a month or $3 a month or $5 a month. I mean, it's cheaper than Netflix and better for your soul. I'm trying to get that on a bumper sticker. I'm not sure that it'll fit. I digress. Go to patreon.com slash the cultural hall and make your pledge. Won't you please? Diane with an H in the middle. Uh, DNA sounds super like complex or like beyond me. You, I can tell, are passionate about it. Kathy is passionate about it. She's the one who wrote the email saying that you should be on the show. She's passionate about it, not only for herself, but for you. But you have got a bridge you have got to build in order to get me excited and interested into this. So however you would like, take me on the journey. All right. So the thing that DNA is doing for us as a people is it has made tough science topics interesting. Like even like you're saying DNA, somebody says that and it makes you want to like skip to the next thing. Like I automatically, when I hear DNA, I just think of like the strand, right? Like the curly strand that you, whenever you hear DNA, and I don't even know if that's DNA, but I just think of like the curly strand that I would see in a science thing. And that, that beyond like some sort of connection to my ancestors, that's all. That's all I think of. I have no depth to my knowledge of DNA. So the thing is, though, that DNA has become like this pervasive indicator of our identity. Like you'll hear now, I hear it in songs all the time, popular culture songs. I hear it in speeches that people are giving. And suddenly it has become the go-to way to describe yourself. Like you'll say, well, I'm a procrastinator. It's in my DNA. Okay. Or I'm just naturally happy person. That's in my DNA. And so people are using it as a way to describe themselves. And therefore it's being incorporated into our identity. And this has positive and negative effects, right? So the positive effects are that once you understand that your DNA does connect you to not just your children going forward, but your ancestors moving backwards, Mm -hmm. it gives you like a stake, like skin in the game. So you start thinking about these people that only have names or maybe don't have names that you've seen on a family tree somewhere. And you're like, great grandpa, Charlie. Yeah. Okay. So he's a guy. But then when you say, wait, I have 12% of great grandpa's DNA. What, what does that mean? Wait, mm-hmm. Like the stuff that he was carrying around back then, I have some of that in me right this minute. And when you realize that you're like, hold on, who was this guy? And what did he pass to me? Like, What kinds of traits and characteristics did he have that maybe I have? And all of a sudden, your family history becomes personal. So I've seen it happen so often, this idea that who you are is determined by where you came from, right? right? And especially like for us as Americans or immigrants from any place, right? We understand we came from somewhere else. Like we haven't always been here. And so you can think of it the same way with, with not just your physicality, but also your personality and your Mm. looks. And all of that came from somewhere. And it's so much more interesting for most people to think of it on a biology level, like that your DNA is from somewhere, Mm -hmm. than looking at a record. So I feel like it's transformed the way that people are thinking about their family history. And having a DNA test at, say, like Ancestry DNA or 23andMe is honestly changing the way people are viewing themselves 
and it's changing the way they're viewing family history. So if you like Google DNA big reveal, or you go to YouTube and you just look up DNA reveal, there are hundreds of videos of people doing this big reveal where they're like videoing themselves logging into their DNA test results for the first time and mm -hmm. seeing that they're 17% Italian or whatever. Mm -hmm. And these are not genealogists. These aren't 65 year old women. These are 22 year old men. It's a totally different demographic. The person who's taking a DNA test is not your average genealogist. And yet, as soon as they take the test, it's like they want to know more. And they feel a sense of connection to these places that they've never felt connected to before. Like you find out you're 17% Italian, people want to eat more spaghetti and they want to <laughs> deter, they do. It's like, it's this amazing, like almost visceral reaction that we have, that we want to learn and know more about these places. And it has done so much to revolutionize people who are interested in family history, even though if you ask them, they'll still say they're not interested right. because it's just a DNA test. Like they're not making that connection, but it's happening and it's happening maybe slowly and maybe imperceptibly, but it's happening and it's really exciting. They're like every genealogy society in America is worried about membership. Nobody's joining anymore because mm -hmm. they don't understand the value. And yet people are taking DNA tests by the millions. So it's like this, I call it um, a gateway drug, yeah. DNA testing. <laughs> it's a gateway drug for family history. But how can we get people then to go beyond the gateway drug to get them addicted and joining these genealogical gangs, if you will, yeah, and, and, totally. and head to the streets and sing songs and, and all that stuff? Maybe <laughs> I'm thinking of a different kind of gang. So, uh, you know, as, no, I, I like it. as I think about it, you know, my great grandfather, Edward, he must be a little dim because I am a little dim. And I need you to give me a little bit more about like how people, I mean, really sort of connect. So I, for example, took one of those ancestry tests and I am um, I am essentially English, right? It's it's I'm about as. English as it can be, and then there's 1% Polynesian, which I sort of chalk up to, there was something that they went, I don't know, we'll, we'll call them Polynesian, because if anyone knows me, I'm about the whitest, gingeriest kid that you've ever met. I imagine that that Polynesian will sort of evolve into some sort of other place quadrant thing as more information gets gets taken by different people. But so then, so then what would I do? How would you say that I would engage more in in my genealogy and in family history, knowing that, yeah, just as I knew, I am so white and English, I just can't handle it. Right. So you're, you're the perfect case study, actually. This is, you're exactly the kind of person that we as an industry are trying to figure out how to engage. Mm -hmm. You've taken a test. You have a moderate understanding of your family history. How can we help you? How can we do more for you? Part of what I'm hoping to do is get you excited about the possibilities that your DNA can unlock for you. And a lot of that is not in the ethnicity report. It's in your DNA match list. Okay. So have you looked at that list? Have you looked at that big list of names? I feel like I, uh, so when you're talking about like my DNA match list, you're talking about like cousins and those folks that are online. Yeah. There. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, we have certainly shared some of those stories here in the cultural hall. I had a very dear friend who um, she she got pregnant when she was a, a senior in high school and she put that child up for adoption. Uh, at some point in the last 20 years, she took a DNA test 
and allowed her security measures to allow her to be contacted by anyone and everyone. And then her son, who she gave up for adoption at some point in the last couple of years, ended up taking a DNA test. And sure enough, you know, one day she gets an email that is essentially, hey, you have a son who just entered in his information with a DNA test and he would like to contact you. And this is a really sort of sweet story because they have become now in just the last couple of years, the best of friends. He is an adult who's married, who has his own kids. And and she's sort of been able to take on this pseudo grandma role that, you know, she never had any other children of her own. And so she's had this very sweet experience. But we certainly have shared here in the cultural hall about experiences where it's like, oops, or nobody knew that dad this and and these like family devastating DNA results. And so I guess that's interesting. You know, I find it sort of salaciously interesting, but I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's not, if that's not me, where my attachment to all that is beyond just sharing it going, did you hear about this guy in Texas who has 37 children now that DNA tests are coming out or whatever? Well, so I think it's, it's two parts. So you're right. There are a lot of people discovering extremely significant relationships in their DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And it is changing the way that we're viewing families and the way that we're viewing relationships. And from my point of view, I feel like it's giving us a chance to really understand that everyone in our family is a real person yeah. who can make choices, who was young and stupid in a lot of <laughs> cases. And it, it helps you bring down these ancestors to a real person level like you only know your grandmother as an old lady like you don't ever know her as a teenager Mm -hmm. and so I feel like one of my main missions is to help people recognize that when you learn something about an ancestor that doesn't coincide with that strict like she was so like by the book and she did this like I think it helps us recognize, one, the power of the atonement Mm. and the power of mercy and the power of change and that you don't always have to be the person that you were. You Mm. can change. Yeah. And and people are seeing that because they're seeing their ancestors. They're they're having to reconcile this person that they knew with this act that they must have done. Mm. And it's hard, really hard. But I think if we can put it in that perspective, then it really helps us to understand human nature. It helps us to be more forgiving of others around us. I mean, if you can love your grandmother and then understand that this happened in her past and reconcile that with the the woman that you knew, then when the same thing happens to your child, to your friend, Hmm. then I think you'll be less likely to judge. The more stories we can tell, good, bad, indifferent, the better we're going to be at understanding each other and just general human condition. Like I feel like I've become so much more understanding and forgiving just by hearing of all the stories. I mean, my own mother was adopted and we found her birth parents and learning that story has changed us. It's Hmm. changed my mom. It's changed what we know about ourselves. And I feel like even if you don't have that kind of huge experience, even looking at your list, if you, when we're done here, I want you to go log into your ancestry account and I want you to look at that list of third cousins. Do you know any of them? Yeah. And yet these are real people that are descendants of your ancestors. You have a ton of DNA in common with them. And yet you have no idea who they are. Why not? Why don't we know them? 
don't you think a relationship at any level with them could add to your knowledge of your family, could mm. add to your your support system, to your support group? It's really entertaining to meet a fourth cousin. I've met lots because <laughs> I speak, right? And so a lot of times I'll have in my lecture, I'll have some stuff on and people like, wait, that's my ancestor. And they'll look me up on their DNA test results. They'll come up after me. We're fourth cousins. And we hug because <laughs> we're family. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it there's something uniting about it. Just that idea that we share DNA. Hmm. That's, it's a huge, huge thing to share biological material. And I think it changes the way you see everybody, actually. So I want to I want to peel that back just a little bit more. You talked about that your mother was uh, adopted and you were able to sort of track down then would be your grandmother, your essential biologic grandmother. And knowing right. who knowing who she was and knowing more about her because of not only the DNA and family history, like what value did that add to who you are today? Well, I think my mom, my mom grew up her adopted family. She was like she's the only child. She was totally spoiled. They loved her. She was everything to them. Mm -hmm. And so she wasn't lacking anything growing up. And so when this technology became available and we started talking about it, of course, I'm working in this industry. So I'm like, mom, are you interested? I think we could figure this out if you want to. Just spit in this tube, mom. Just spit in this tube. No, she was like, no, I don't know. Like she's happy with her life. And there's a lot of, like you said, really bad stories out there. And she didn't want to know if she was part of a really bad story. Yeah. But, you know, eventually we, we did find out and she has three older siblings and she's met them all. And I tell people, I feel like it has filled a hole she didn't even know she had. She had no idea she was missing these relationships in her life, but they have filled her and made her a level of joy and happiness that I've never seen in her before, ever. And they keep in touch. They text one another now. They all live in Washington State. They see each other on occasion. It has been a very rewarding experience. And then on their side, you know, they grew up with their mom and, of course, never knowing about my mom. And the stories that they tell me about my grandmother, about how, again, she's very, very Catholic. She has an abusive marriage that she's finally gotten out of. Mm. She moves hundreds of miles away from the only home she has. She moves in with her sister, with her three kids. She's working two jobs to try to make ends meet. And in the midst of all of this, she meets a nice guy. We're pretty sure we know who he was, but she gets pregnant. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? It is 1948. You've got three kids you're taking care of. What do you do? She had options. She didn't have to carry the child to term. She didn't have to. Right. She did. She chose that. And then she had the baby and she gave the baby a life by giving her away. And then all the grandchildren, everybody says, this woman loved children. She loved babies. She loved kids. She loved teenagers. Mm. She loved children. And so that adds to me another layer. Can you imagine having to give up somebody you loved, but doing it because of the depth of love that you had? And then as soon as the family finds out, they're like, you know, she was so faithful. She went to church every day and lit a candle. Mm. And all of them are convinced it was for my mom. Oh, wow. Every day. Wow. Every day. So again, it's a story of faith. It's about commitment to family. But to me, it says there's a lot of ways to be committed to your family. There's a lot of ways you can show love. Where maybe before I thought there were just a few ways I could be a good mom, you know? Mm -hmm. But now I'm like, wow, there's actually a lot of ways I can be a good mom. There's a lot of ways I can show up for my kids. 
And so I just think it expands your horizons a little bit. And it says, you know what? Life is hard and you have to make a lot of hard choices. But when you do, if you have faith, then you pick yourself up and you do the best you can with the decisions you've made and you don't regret and you don't look back. You just look forward. So if I've got timeline right, though, when you would have been in college and would have studied DNA or this microbiology, like these things wouldn't have existed. Or certainly our DNA did exist. Obviously, that didn't come from nowhere. (laughs) But like the idea of individual testing and of studying for relations and all that stuff. I mean, that's a relatively new science. So how did you get into this whole thing? Well, it's divine intervention. I mean, there's no. Oh, okay, Just God. Cool. All right. It's God. Yeah. He just, it's like a little chess game. You know, he just moves the pieces around wherever he wants them. And he, um, and he's up there. He's like, it's your move. Oh, come why on. Won't you make your move? Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Okay. Whew. Yeah. No, it actually goes all the way back to my high school English teacher. Okay. So he told all of us graduating seniors that as soon as you get to college, the best thing you can do is find a professor who's researching something you're interested in and get involved. And so I got to BYU and I wanted to do something with genetics or something. So I walked into the microbiology department. Mm -hmm. I asked the lady at the desk, can you tell me what professors are researching what? And she hands me a list (laughs) and I looked down the list and it's like virology and bacteria. And I was like, boring, boring. And then there's Dr. Scott Woodward studying the genetics of ancient Egyptian mummies. I was like, that's awesome. I'm in. Yeah. So I walked down the hall. I knock on his door and I said, do you need another research rat? Mm-hmm. And he's like, always. And so I started working on this project and it was to discover who these people were. It was a big cemetery that was like 60 miles outside of Cairo, Egypt, mm-hmm. but there was no town nearby. It was like a bunch of huge burial site, but no town. And so nobody knew who these people were. So our job was the genetic part. And back then there was a very limited amount of DNA you could do, but that's what we were doing. The problem is we could find the DNA profile that represented only a direct maternal line. We call it mitochondrial DNA. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So sure, could, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, so you could see like who was maternally related to each other within the cemetery, mm-hmm. but there was nothing to compare it to. Like mm-hmm. we needed a database, right, of everybody in the world so we could figure out who were these people's relatives. So that was the initial idea and the first pioneering effort to create a database. And that was back in 2000. Wow. So I kind of got swept up in that research project. And um, James Sorensen, the local Utah philanthropist, he kind of caught wind of this idea and said, well, you guys, let's build a database then. If that's what we need, let's build one. And so he put all of this money behind this first initial effort to create a database. And so I just rode that wave until that initial effort called the Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation was sold to Ancestry.com. And that became kind of the foundation of Ancestry DNA's test. And so at that point, I had small kids and I wasn't in a position to go work full time for Ancestry. So I ended up just going out on my own. That's how I ended up where I am. And to where you are today. Let's take another break. And when we come back, let's find out exactly where you are. Now, I know because I'm able to see you via Zoom that you're in a a beautiful home with a pool nearby. And if people are are Patreon uh, followers, they are able to see this video and enjoy that. But let's get really as to what you are doing today with all of this vast DNA information and, and how people might be able to engage with you. We'll do that coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. 
One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now. Because at PC Laptops, we're here for you and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com. Time for the third block of the cultural hall. Would love it if you give us a review, right? I know that you saw on the title, you thought DNA, just like me. You thought, what is this going to end up being? Already, uh, you have changed my mind. I'm kind of excited to get back into my profile and see what that's all about. I would encourage anyone, and I, and I know that you probably would do the same, if they haven't done one of those DNA tests, to get a tube, spit in it, and find out where your family comes from. It's a little crude way of describing it, but give us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode and what we're doing here on the Cultural Hall. You can do that wherever you're getting this episode, and it helps other people find us. And you can always get in contact with us by going to theculturalhall.com. Uh, there's a Contact Us tab there, or you can just send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Would you find yourself, Diane, encouraging anyone to do that simple DNA test? Uh, absolutely, as long as they're sure they want to know, because that's the thing. Once you do it, you can't undo it. Right. And once you know, you can't unknow. And like you said, there's plenty of people finding out really shocking and sometimes life-altering things when they're taking a DNA test. So just make sure you know that you can know. Right. And then, yeah, for sure. I always say this this thing to to uh, my wife where I say, don't ask a question that you don't want the answer to. And I think that DNA is a, a great way that that applies. So what are you doing with DNA now? You said that at the time of the big launch, essentially, of Ancestry.com, that you weren't in a position because you got the three kids and being a mother and doing that was the choice that you made. So you obviously are still very much involved in this. So what is this thing that you're doing now? So I have my own company called Your DNA Guide. Mm -hmm. And the goal of the company really is to provide education. So I feel like a gift that I've been given is the gift to teach in a way that people understand. And especially a technical topic like science can be really hard to understand. But that's my gift. And so that's my goal is to teach as many people as I can anything they want to know about how to use their DNA test to figure out more about their family, to determine who they are, to find their three times great grandfather, whatever you want to do, I want to help you. Hmm. So that's our mission. That's our goal as a company. But I think... Mostly, I just like people. <laughs> I like <laughs> stories. I like, especially our community as a genealogy community in general, people are just so nice and they're so committed to their family at all levels, their grandchildren, their children, their ancestors. It's really inspiring how much time and effort and energy the people in this community put into their people. Mm. And I love being a part of that. So people would contact you. So like, for example... I haven't really dug into mine very much at all. I would reach out to you and say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm 1% Polynesian and the rest I'm English. Help me like this more. Would that be a common scenario <laughs> or 
Yeah. So we do, we have a couple of different things. So I have a blog that you can just go and read stuff if you want to. We're doing free webinars right now during this kind of lockdown time. So we're doing those every other week, but we also do like online mentoring, we call it. And so I'd get together with you online. You would pull up your DNA test results and I teach you how to find all the interesting information that's there. Like you pulled it up and you're like, okay, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't, yeah. Okay. Done. And it takes you like two and a half minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would give you a tour of your DNA test results and show you all the things that are actually really interesting and help you see what all the buttons do and how to actually get and dig in and figure out some of these, these things that maybe you didn't even know what question to ask. Right. So that's something that we do. Um, I just wrote a book. And so that's all about, it's like a choose your own adventure book for DNA. So you come to me with a question like, Hey, I want to know who this third cousin is. Can you help me figure that out? And Mm -hmm. I'll say, sure. Do you have this scenario? Then turn to page 47. If you have that scenario, then turn to page 22. And so I kind of walk you through step-by-step depending on what you have um, to teach you kind of what to do and how to dig in. But mostly we're just trying to be available. So on social media, Twitter or Facebook, you can ask us questions and we can reach out and give you some answers. It's all about education for me. So yeah. so give me an anecdote then you will. Someone who obviously you want to maintain privacy, so don't give me names or locations or anything like this. But like a benefit that you provided to someone who came to you recently for some of this mentoring, like what what did it do for them? Okay, so I had this lady um, yesterday, I was talking with her, and she's looking for her father's grandparents. These are her great grandparents. Uh-huh. So her father's long since passed away. So she's taking her DNA test. Uh-huh. And we're trying to find her two times great grandparents. So essentially, what I do is I showed her how to go through her ancestry DNA match list and basically put people into different bins. So like you've got a bunch of cousins that are related to your mom's side, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't care about those cousins right now. So yeah, they're not paternal find... cousins. We don't need exactly. them. Exactly. We don't need to look at them, don't spend any time on them. Yeah, put them in right? a different bin. Put them in a different put them bin. In a bin. And <laughs> lock it away. Okay, so I showed her how to do that so we can ignore all those people. And so then you've got the paternal side, but you've got lots of different lines represented. So mm-hmm. I taught her how to find the people she's most interested in, the ones that link back to this one line. Mm-hmm. So we do all of that. And so then it's time to do genealogy. So you've got this group of people that you know are related to this line you're interested in. What you're doing is you're trying to figure out how are those people related to each other. See, you don't know who you're looking for, so you can't go looking for a name. But what you're doing is you're looking at all of these people. Maybe there's 10 of them. And you're looking for a common ancestor among them. And so what we're able to do is I was able to show her just by looking at a few pedigrees that are posted online. I was like, look, this is the surname that we see in common. Do you see this? She's like, yes. I was like, okay, it's time to do genealogy. Figure out how these people are related to each other. If you can figure out how they're related to each other, then we know that's also how you are related to them. So now she gets to go do genealogy. So she'll go do her part. I gave her a nice to-do list and she goes and does the genealogy part. And then likely she'll come back to me and be like, okay, I got this, but I don't know what this means. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go to the next step together. Which the obvious connection for those of us that are members of the church and uh, able to do temple work. I mean, we're then able to essentially link our family through the past. But I'm sure that there are plenty of people who come to you who aren't members of the church who are just sort of fascinated by this or for, you know, maybe even medical reasons or to find out really the tr- the truth about it. Here's the one thing that is a large struggle for me a- about genealogy is I really like it. It's sort of like reading to me. And I know you're like, wait a minute, why is this a struggle? 
it becomes so consuming that I like I don't have time for it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not just a yeah. passive thing where it's like I'm just sort of a, an ancestral uh, detective. I'm just going to pick this up and put it down. It is a thing that's like who was your great grandfather on your mom's side and just dwells until you are able to answer the question. That probably more than anything else besides the fact that I'm a dummy has been the hardest thing about it is that like once I find a thing I want to know 10 things. And then guess what? I get the 10 things and there's 100 things and it's just exponential of questions. How are you able, and I'm being serious in this in this sort of way, with yourself personally or these fascinating clients who come with you, how are you able to just sort of pick it up and then put it down? So you have hit the nail on the head. This is like the problem, right? It yeah. does consume you. Yeah. And you like forget about all other things in your life. And when it, you have a job or you have children that you have to Yeah, feed, your kids are like, like, Mom, can we have really dinner? Annoying. And you're like, Oh, I'm so close no. to finding grandpa. No. Mac yeah, and cheese no. is in the fridge. Help yourself. No, this is why I actually haven't found my mom's father yet. Hmm. Like I'm really close and I know what to do, but I haven't done it because once I start down this path, I will not be able to do anything else, honestly. Yeah. yeah. That's so true, right? So my answer is I don't do my own. Really? I don't. Because Uh if I do, I don't have time to write my blog and I don't have time to help my clients and I don't have time to write a book. So I don't do my own, like hardly ever. Like I reserve like Sunday afternoon, I get like two and a half hours and Mm. that's it. And Mm. then it's done. And Mm. it's just a deadline that I have to set and I'm done. And the same for client work. So my business model isn't to do it for you. Yeah. My business model is to teach you how to do it. Yeah. And so it's easy for me to pick it up and put it down because I don't get that involved, right? Yeah. So it's, and it's, it's nice because it's like having um, a sous chef, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like I get into the problem and I tell my sous chef, you need to go do genealogy on these four lines. And when you're done filling out the family trees, which is going to take you like four weeks, then come back to me with everything prepared and I'll teach you what to do next. It's the perfect situation. I've got like <laughs> all these little minions going and working on their problems themselves. Uh-huh. And then they come back to me and I tell them what to do next. It's wow. actually fantastic. <laughs> and the website is yourdnaguide.com. If people are listening to this and they want to be able to engage with you there, I'm sure that pricing and a way to, uh, to do that is all available at the website. For sure. Yeah. We ask three questions of everyone who steps into the cultural hall and I will ask those of you Now, actually, before I do that, have you ever listened to an episode of The Cultural Hall? I have. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yes. It's been great. I'm new to it. I'm one of your new listeners. Nice. So just simply a convert to the hall. Thank you. Then you know what the questions are that are coming. I'll ask those now. The first one is, is, uh, do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? Yes. So I'm a seminary teacher with my husband. We actually have the most cush calling ever because before even all of this isolation, we were teaching online seminary already Mm -hmm. to all the kids in our stake that couldn't make it to a building. Mm -hmm. And so we were already all set up and running and ready to go and nothing has changed for us. And it's fantastic to have a partner teacher and who's so awesome, like my husband. Yeah. So yeah, it's been fantastic. I love seminary. I love teaching, love the youth. It's the perfect calling. This sort of brings to my mind, does your husband join you in this? Uh, obsession over DNA or is he like, ah, babe, it's your thing and I'll do my other thing. Yeah, this is my thing. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, there she goes. I'm a DNA widower. Uh, The second question. He loves loves to tell people though. He introduces me as, this is my wife. She's a molecular genealogist. He loves to say that. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Smarty pants. Yeah, totally. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? 
I have thought about this, and I think, can I choose two, or do I have to choose No, one? you could, you could, listen, choose as many. We have three levels of heaven, so why would we make you pick just one calling? Okay, I want to be the primary pianist, okay. though I don't play the piano. Sure. Um, but I'd like to learn to play the piano, and then just play piano primary songs all day long. I love piano, I love primary, I love primary songs, so I think that's ideal. And then my next favorite calling is just teaching. So actually, I do teach youth Sunday school also. That's my second calling. Uh Um, And I really like that. I love teaching. So I can't choose one. I'll teach anything. I'll teach primary. I'll teach youth. I'll teach adults. So just any teaching calling. Okay. Okay. And then the last question, and interpret it however you will, but what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is getting older in my faith. I love looking back at my life and seeing all of the ways that Heavenly Father has orchestrated me to be in exactly where I am right now. Hmm. I love that feeling that that I'm in the right place. And I love how I can look back at my life and see all of the times that he has intervened and pushed me or nudged me or taken care of me. And I just I tell my seminary kids all the time, like, you have no idea what a rewarding experience it is to get older in the gospel. Because when you're 15, you look back and you have so few experiences that you can point to where you're sure that Heavenly Father was there and leading you. But by the time you're my age, there are so many, you just can't deny it. There is no other way to see my life than it has been completely orchestrated by my Father in Heaven who's guiding me and leading me to be in a place where I can serve and use my talents in a way I never anticipated or imagined. It's been incredible. I call it history lessons for myself. You know, in the scriptures, they're like constantly going back to parting of the Red Sea. I feel like everybody talks about that story. Like (laughs) any prophet that wants an example, they're like, remember when we went across the Red Sea? Like so many people look back on that. Right. And I feel like I've got those stories in my life where every time I can look back and I can be like, that's my history lesson. He got me through that. He showed me the answer to that. I absolutely have no doubt that he'll lead me and guide me through the next step. I love it. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body and that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.